Good morning. This is the word of the Lord from Romans 14, 12 through 17. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Sound City Bible Church, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity as we're joining together in partnership with Martha Lake Baptist Church to have this opportunity to teach from God's Word. We are going through... Right now, a series of topics that are, that are relevant to the situation that we find ourselves in with this COVID-19 global event. Uh, we're going to be doing just a few more of these topical weeks, and then I'm excited to announce that we're going to be headed into the Old Testament book of Job uh, in the months ahead. The book of Job, I think, for a lot of Christians, feels like this kind of weird enigma in the middle of our Bibles. It's full of what seems to be bad advice. Why are why is there a book of the Bible that has, you know, 30-some chapters of bad advice, uh, and then God shows up and rebukes people? And, and I think there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about the book of Job. There's a lot of Jesus in the book of Job, and I'm excited to share that with you. But for today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14, a little bit in 13, uh, a little bit in 15, mostly in Romans chapter 14. And, and this is one of those um, passages of Scripture that doesn't require require a ton of explanation from me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't require a lot of, you know, um, difficult exegesis. It's, it's relatively easy to read and to understand, but it's incredibly difficult to actually apply and live out. So we need God's help. So will you pray with me now as we uh, turn our attention to God's Word? Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit I thank you that though we are separated from each other right now physically, we are united by faith in Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit uh, would lead and guide my words, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would give all of us soft and teachable hearts right now, uh, that we might be corrected where we need to be corrected, our attitudes, our our, our posture towards um, people who think differently than us would be challenged and changed, Lord. Lord Jesus, so that we could be more like you and we could be closer to you and closer to one another. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Last week, I was having a conversation with Pastor Jamin from Sound City, and he told me that he logged into his Facebook for the first time in two years. Uh, he had uh, needed to get in contact with somebody. He didn't have their contact info, so he logged into Facebook to, to look him up. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how he's gone for two years without looking at Facebook, but good job, Pastor Jamin. Uh, and he said to me, he goes, man, is it always this bad? 
And I just looked at him, yes, you poor fool. It's always this bad. It's terrible. Social media, uh, especially right now, is just filled with opinions and, and these, these issues of disputed matters and, and opinion and perspective. And people are just fighting like never before. And, and right now, as we're in this season where various states and, and, and local governments are making the turn toward reopening, there is no shortage of opinion and perspective on what governments should do and what people should do. My, my own home state where I was born of Alaska just recently lifted all restrictions. I mean, Alaskans are professional social distancers. That's why you move to Alaska and their cases have been like next to zero. And so they've lifted all restrictions. Meanwhile, other states and other parts of the world remain in various stages of lockdown. And there's just a lot of arguing going on. A lot of arguing about things that are not black and white, biblical, you know, right and wrong issues, but matters of common sense and wisdom and prudence and, and love for neighbor. And friends, uh, I just as I see this type of fighting and this type of debate going on, I can't help but think of the end of the book of Romans, particularly Romans chapter 14. And the book of Romans, I think, can really help us because, you know, this church in Rome to whom Paul was writing, Paul had never been there yet. He was hoping to come to them so that he could then go to Spain, the ends of the earth, to tell people that Jesus is the the promised Messiah who was crucified and risen again. Uh, He was hoping to go to them. And the, the Roman church, you know, like all of the New Testament churches that we read about, would have had kind of an early Jewish core, and then Gentiles, non-Jewish people, would have uh, joined in this following Jesus movement. But Rome is unique in that in AD 49, the emperor expelled Jews from Rome, possibly even because many of them were following this Christ. So he expelled Jews from Rome, and, and, and scholars will tell us that the book of Romans, um, it's pretty clear that there still are some Jewish people there, but now the Gentiles have become the majority population in the church. There's kind of a, there's kind of a big brother, little brother sort of a dynamic going on here in the book of Romans. And as we, as we pick it up, I'm going to pick it up in chapter 13, verse 8, and this is going to be our, our overarching principle, our overarching truth that will set the direction for the rest of, of what I want to share from chapter 14. Paul says in, in Romans 13, verse 8, he says this, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The law, the commandments, he quotes from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and and any other commandment are summed up by this one commandment, and he quotes from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, love therefore is the fulfillment of the law. That is the big idea for today. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. If you really care about someone, you will know them, you will value them, you will treasure them, and you will not want to do anything that will cause them harm. And again, that's our overarching principle for today. That's the, that's the big picture idea as we get ready to turn the corner into this discussion about disputed matters. Now, one other thing before 
Paul turns the corner into the discussion of disputed matters, he he says this in verse 11 and uh, following. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're, We're closer to the return of Jesus and the day of our salvation than we were last Sunday. I don't know when he's coming, but we're closer than we've ever been. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this is really important because we're about to talk about disputed matters, but before we talk about disputed matters, Paul lists some things that are just black and white uh, wrong, clearly matters of sin. And it's important that we don't put categories of sinfulness, things that are explicitly taught in the scriptures as right and wrong, we don't put those things in as matters of conscience. We don't get to say, you know, well, my, my conscience just really isn't bothered that much by, by sexual impurity and promiscuity. Yeah, I know, I know that, you know, some people are bothered by it, but my personality type, I just, I just have kind of a jealousy sort of personality type. And so, you know, to each their own, we can, we can agree to disagree. It's like, no, no, there are matters that are disputable and we can discuss and have disagreement about in, in Christian charity. There are other matters that are just clear issues of right and wrong, sin and righteousness, and we need need to think clearly about these things. So, that's a that's an important caveat as we now turn the corner into chapter 14. Verse 1. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak only eats vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? You don't walk into somebody's house and start criticizing them. Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. And this is very interesting because uh, the Bible has a lot of communal and, and corporate sorts of things where we're to think of ourselves together as, as a body. But here, the Apostle Paul is really pressing in on the individual. And, and we see that there's some disputed matters going on here in the church. There's a, there's a dispute about food and drink, and there's a dispute about the days. And uh, I read a number of commentaries and and did a a, a fair amount of research for this, and the scholarly consensus is that there is no consensus. We don't really truly know the nature of these debates. For the the food and drink stuff, it's probably not anything having to do with kosher food laws for Jewish believers, because there's nothing in the Torah that forbids eating meat or drinking wine. In fact, there are places where they are explicitly commanded, like the Passover meal, etc., 
Uh, maybe it has something to do with the food sacrifice to idols, like in First Corinthians, possibly, but that's a, that's a guess. We don't know that. We just, we don't really know what this matter is. And, and the, the issue of the days, is this about Sabbath worship versus, uh, Lord's Day, Resurrection Day worship? Is this, uh, is this something about Roman holidays and festivals versus Jewish holidays and festivals? Again, we just don't know. And I think that's a bit of a blessing for us because it means that we can apply it to our own context. We also see that the Apostle Paul introduces two groups of people, the strong and the weak. The strong and the weak. The weak are mentioned here in in chapter 14, verse 1. And if you look in 15, verse 1, he says, we who are strong. So, jumping ahead just a little bit. In the Greek, the word for weak is asphaneo. And here it's translated as weak. If you look in the Gospels, the word astheneo is used when it says that they brought those who were sick or ill to Jesus. So sickly, weak, ill, sometimes it's translated as an invalid. Meanwhile, the strong, the Greek word is dunatas, uh, powerful, strong, sometimes it's even translated as competent or smart. So, you know, these, these are pretty stark terms to use. I found myself this week some, uh, sometimes thinking in terms of tough and sensitive. You know how some people, just a little bit tougher, they're, they're just not bothered uh, as easily, and then other people are more sensitive, they're more easily bothered. And I actually even thought about myself, you know, if, if, if you use the analogy of a body, we're one body with many parts, I would like to think of myself as a tough person. I've, you know, I've got some tattoos, I grew up skateboarding, you know, crash and burn, and, you know, uh, just, I, I would like to think I'm a tough person, but man, you can just, you can just completely undo me. Not, not only for me, but just watching somebody else, like, chew on a popsicle or crunching ice, it literally hurts me to even say it right now as I'm talking about it. Just my teeth, I've got pretty sensitive teeth, like, you can ruin my afternoon by a too cold glass of iced tea. Uh, so I, as much as I like to think of myself as a tough person, if I watch one of my kids chewing on a popsicle, it's just, ah, uh, I've got shivers right now even just talking about it. And maybe this might be helpful also, maybe for you, it's not that you are a stronger brother or you are a weaker brother, you are a weaker sister or a stronger sister. It's maybe issue by issue. In some areas, you are stronger, and in other areas, you're more weak. In some areas, your, your conscience is a little tougher. You're just not bothered by it. But in other areas, uh, you're a little bit more bothered by it. <clears throat> so, so we need to keep that in mind. We're going to have some people on these disputed matters, these issues that are not matters of like clear right and wrong, morality, sin, and righteousness. We're going to have some differences of opinion, and God very deeply cares how we go about having these differences of opinions. In, in disputed matters, what we do and, and how we act is more important to the Lord than the disputed matters themselves. And that's really hard. Because, again, for some of you, particularly those of you with the sensitive conscience, a a weaker sister, a weaker brother, it feels like a matter of morality and right and wrong. And so, the, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some things that will help us navigate these conversations. There are four things, three principles that apply to all of us, and then a fourth one that applies specifically to the stronger or to the tougher. Verse 6. 
Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. The first principle is keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, when it comes to disputed matters, you can do or not do the thing. You can act in one way or another in a way that is only concerned with yourself. You only care about you. You only do the things because you want to or you don't want to because you like it, because you don't like it. But friends, we are encouraged to, whether we eat or drink or abstain or do anything, we're to do it for the Lord. If you are a Christian, Christ died for you to take the punishment that you and I deserved, and he rose from the dead to be the Lord over the dead and the living. And if you're living, you are either stronger or weaker, you're going to do certain things, do it all for Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Lord. That's the, that's the first principle. Number two, keep your eyes on yourself. Verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yes, we are to forgive one another and pray for one another and serve one another in love. Yes, yes, yes. All that is true. Paul's not contradicting himself. What he is saying here is at the end of your life, when you stand before the throne of God above, you will only give an account for your own actions and behaviors and attitudes. So keep your eyes on yourself. Those of you who are parents, maybe you can relate. There's those times where I have to, to say to one of my children, hey, 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 you worry about you. I'll worry about them. Don't be a tattletale. Don't, don't be obsessed with what they're doing right or wrong. You take care of you. I get the picture sometimes too of like a, like a neighbor, you know, peering through the blinds, like kind of peeping on what somebody else is doing. That is not how we as followers of Christ are to navigate these disputed matters. Eyes on the Lord, eyes on yourself. You're only going to be able to give an account for yourself on the last day. Jumping down to verse 16, the third principle is this. We have to act in a way that builds each other up. Verse 16, therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Like the, again, the disputed matters aren't really what's important to God, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. Like, there's a way to go about these debates that actually people really like. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Again, 
You can share your perspective. You can, you can disagree. You can have a disputed matter sort of conversation and you can do so. Christian, hear me on this. You can do so in a way that promotes peace and builds other people up. It can be done. I know it's incredibly hard, but it can be done. And so maybe it starts with a posture of humility. Maybe it starts with you saying, well, hey, here's, here's my perspective on the matter. We can, we can disagree and I still love you. And, and it doesn't have to be this like deeply offensive thing to have a, a difference of opinion or a difference of perspective on these disputed matters. So keep your eyes on the Lord. Whatever you're doing, are you doing it for Jesus? Keep your eyes on yourself. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. And then number three, when you enter in to these debates and discussions, there's a way to do it that promotes peace and what builds up one another. Now, this fourth and last principle is specifically for those who are the stronger brother or sister. Let's go back to verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That's a pretty radical thing for Paul to say. Particularly, I mean, he calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he was trained by the finest rabbis and a Pharisee of Pharisees. And for him to say that nothing is unclean in and of itself, that's a pretty radical thing. That's that's not some like obscure minor point of theology in in, in Jewish thinking. Clean and unclean is like right up there. It's it's pretty forefront. He says. I don't think anything's really unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, for them it's unclean. If your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Talk about a mic drop moment. I want to jump down to verse 20. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Again, everything is clean, but it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It's a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, we who are strong, in first, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. So, friends, if on a particular subject you are the stronger sister, the stronger brother, you have an additional obligation to not harm the weak. Now, this passage sometimes gets misinterpreted, the whole idea of making someone stumble. Making someone stumble does not mean hurting their feelings or getting them upset. You know, if, if you do something, if you eat meat or if you drink wine or if you observe a certain day and someone else is angry at you and they're offended by you, we already addressed that earlier in chapter 14. That's on them. They are not allowed to go into judgment. The weaker brother, the weaker sister is not allowed to stand in judgment with their, you know, scowling face and their crossed arms uh, towards you when you do those things. What this is talking about is 
causing someone to actually do the thing that is against their conscience. It says this in verse 23, whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. So if, if you have a stronger conscience and you are uh, permitted in your conscience to eat meat, but you eat meat in such a way that causes someone whose conscience does not want them to eat meat, if you cause them to actually do that activity, now it's on you. And, and refraining You know, abstinence might be one of the ways you need to serve somebody. Verse 21, it's a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. You might need to refrain. You might need to abstain. You might need to not do the thing, but you most certainly should not flaunt your freedoms in front of them, and you most certainly should not pressure them to do that which is against their conscience. Let their conscience be their conscience. We who are stronger have an obligation, a moral obligation before the Lord to bear with those whose conscience is weaker. Now, uh, these principles, I want to apply it in a case study. Growing up in the church, I most often heard these verses applied to the subject of alcoholic beverages. But this is 2020, doggone it, and I would like to update it for a new generation. I would like to update it to the ever-so-controversial subject of mask wearing. Mask wearing. I bought this mask uh, recently, and uh, as if the whole mask thing wasn't already controversial enough, I noticed on the packaging that it was made in China. So, mask wearing. This is a disputed matter. And and I say that because the CDC and the World Health Organization have both put out contradictory things back and forth. Early on, it was don't wear masks. We need them for our healthcare workers. And and unless you're getting like surgical grade masks, the particles still go through. And then it was like, actually, everybody needs to wear a mask all the time, constantly. And now when I wear one and I go to the grocery store, I feel like a criminal. It's like, it's kind of, it's kind of exhilarating, I guess. But, but the science is back and forth. Oh, this is going to save everybody's lives. And uh, it actually really doesn't do anything. And you see people, you know, with like a, uh, like a bandana, but they're wearing it like this, like, you know, how in, in germ transmission, it's kind of a disputed matter. So let's apply these four principles to this disputed matter. Wear a mask or don't wear a mask with your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to guess that a lot of the time when you're thinking about these masks, you're not thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about how you're either saving the universe by wearing a mask or how this is the dumbest thing you could ever imagine. You're just thinking about yourself. Are you wearing a mask with your eyes on Jesus, doing it to honor Jesus, or not doing it in honor of Jesus? Keep your eyes on yourself. Keep your eyes on yourself. Do you walk around through the grocery store, you stronger brothers who don't feel the need to wear a mask, and you look at all those people wearing masks, those fearful people buying into the the media hype, and they should just read the science. Those of you wearing masks, you see somebody out and they're not wearing a mask, those jerks. They're endangering everybody's lives. Are you looking at other people or are you keeping your eyes on yourself? Are you doing what you're doing to honor your own conscience before the Lord? Principle number three, I said, build one another up. Hey, have you been able to have a conversation with somebody about mask wearing, uh, maybe somebody that you disagree with, that promotes peace and builds them up? 
Or did you walk away, you know, offended at the end or, or saying hurtful things? Are you getting into fights on Facebook with people uh, for, for no other reason than just you want to prove your point? And number four, stronger brothers, stronger sisters, non-mask wearers. Congratulations, your conscience is so strong. You don't need to wear a mask. You feel fine. Well, guess what? You have an obligation to bear with those whose consciences are more sensitive. You're strong. Great. Congratulations. Proud of you. (laughs) But like the Joker asks Batman in the Dark Knight, what are you going to do with all that strength? And if Batman was a Christ follower, I think he would wear a mask. I, I know Batman was wearing a mask, but it was only on the upper part of his face. He needs to add... Sorry, that's a bad analogy. But you get the point, right? You are stronger. Great. You don't feel the need to wear a mask. But for the sake of peace and unity, we we need to wear a mask. Or at least not try to pressure or change somebody else who is convinced that this is the right thing to do. This is a disputed matter. There's no Bible verse that says, wear masks during a pandemic. No verse. I've read the whole Bible a couple of times and I've not ever seen a verse that explicitly says it is right or it is wrong to wear a mask. This is a disputed matter and the Lord Jesus cares very deeply about how we go about these matters because the Lord Jesus died for us and rose again that we might have his grace Chapter 15, verse 2, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The Apostle Paul quotes from Psalm 69 there, a messianic psalm, that Jesus, who possesses All the strength in the universe made himself weak. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for us. Friends, we are all the weaker brother or sister. And Christ, our strongest big brother, made himself weak in the incarnation as a baby, made himself weak in a life of vulnerability, made himself weak, stripped naked and vulnerable and bare on the cross, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He did it all to rescue and to redeem us because he loves us. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Jesus was harmed so that we might be freed from sin and death. Friends, Jesus wore a crown of thorns for us. We can wear a mask for our brothers and sisters. Friends, let me just close by saying this. Our our world is so fractured right now. Our world is so filled with just contention and fighting and a lot of it taking place on social media. And we who are Christ followers have an obligation to avoid that whole trap. Jesus wants us to promote peace and to love our neighbors. And I actually think that there's a missional angle to this. Like, what if Jesus actually meant what he said, that the world would know that we are his followers by our love for one another? 
If we really loved one another, if we really built one another up, if we really cared for one another, the world will see it and they'll want in. They're going to want to be a follower of Jesus if we really loved each other the way that this is telling us to love one another. Friends, like I said at the beginning, it's not hard to understand. It's just really hard to do. It's just really hard to do. It's going to require a lot of repenting. It's going to require a lot of soul searching. It's going to require a lot of like, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to bite my tongue. Lord, help me to speak with graciousness. Lord, help me to keep my eyes on you and on myself and stop judging the other people around me. It's, it's really difficult to do. We need his grace, but thanks be to God that he gives grace in abundance. As we head into a time of celebrating the Lord's table, as Pastor Jason leads us in that, and as we, as we sing and we reflect, let's bring our hearts to the Lord right now. God, I pray that you would break our hearts of our pride. Whether we are a stronger brother, a weaker brother, whether we're, uh, you know, our, wherever our consciences lie, Lord God, would you forgive us for judging others? Would you forgive us for being selfish and self-focused in the way that we make these decisions in disputed matters of conscience? And Lord, particularly for those who are the stronger sister or brother, Lord God, would you give us deep love and care for our Christian brothers and sisters so that we might not do anything that causes them to stumble, but we might build each other up in love. Jesus, thank you that you became weak for us weaklings, (laughs) that you might give us the strength of heaven. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, church. Pastor Jason here. It's time for us now to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus Christ for communion time. And I, ha- I want to think just for a moment about judgment. We don't judge each other uh, over matters of conscience. But there is a judgment. There's a judgment that we all face and will face. And that judgment is very serious and should concern us. And the scripture says that once we die, we will stand before God and face his judgment. Judgment not about a balance between our good works and our bad works. That is a wrong idea of the judgment. Our judgment is an impartial judgment from God's perspective on our sinful rebelliousness against him. And all of us are in the same boat in that we deserve condemnation. Our sin against a holy and righteous God earns us condemnation. But the scripture says that we have been sent a savior, Jesus the Christ, so that when we stand at that judgment, we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven, that we have been made right with God, that when God looks at us, when he sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness. He sees us as pure and holy, not because of our works, not because of our religiosity, but because of Christ's righteousness 
given to us. And all of our sin, all of our rebellion is, is gone, has been washed clean. And communion is the celebration of that. It is the, the remembering of the sacrifice of Christ that purchases our forgiveness. It is the testimony of our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice. So you've gathered your elements for the, the Lord's table. And in a moment, the musicians will play, will begin to sing, and they'll give you time to reflect and to reflect on Jesus the Savior who died in your place. And you'll have a time to, to confess again to God your need for Christ the Savior and to express your faith. And then to take the elements as an act of faith. And so I want to read our communion passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're going to pray now, and I encourage you uh, to reflect and to take of the elements in faith and confidence that Jesus Christ died for you. And by your faith in him and the grace of God, we can stand uh, confident at the judgment. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the body of Jesus, that he bore our sins on the cross. And we give you thanks for this bread representing that body. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, his lifeblood shed, giving his life, that we might be washed white as snow. And we give you thanks for this, uh, this representative cup of his blood and the covenant that it represents as well. Thank you that you give us the Savior Jesus Christ, that by our faith in him, we can stand at your judgment, counted righteous. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.